scripture reading this morning is from 1 Timothy 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Saviour and Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay here in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And if you could turn with me again to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1. I'm going to be following along from the reading before, so that'll be uh, verse 6, and I'm going to read through to verse 11. And let's hear from God's Word. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that law is made not for the righteous but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Well, friends, as we take a closer look at God's word, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we have just sung, and now pray again, uh, Lord, that the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, might illuminate our hearts, uh, open up your word to us, Father, so that we might know you better, know Christ our Saviour better and live out our salvation more clearly and for your glory. Father, we pray that you would speak to us now through your precious word and we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. My parents have recently returned from a, a caravanning trip to WA And from the messages and pictures they were regularly sending through, it was clear that they were having a a great time. But towards the back end of their trip, the pics and and messages suddenly dried up. Didn't think much of it at the time, thought perhaps they were out of range. Until I got a a phone call from mum very early in the morning. The message, Dad's heart had developed an irregular beat. Basically, for the last three days, it was going double time and would not return to normal. Now, as you can imagine, having that go on would be pretty distressing. But that distress is nothing when you're informed this double time rhythm is not sustainable. It'll keep you going for a while, but the window is short. And so mum's call, which was to pray for dad, because at mid-morning, the metal paddles were going to be applied. And thanks be to God, the shock treatment did the job. Dad's heart returned to its normal beat and so is now nourishing and sustaining his body as designed. 
Now, friends, I'm pretty sure this medical crisis didn't happen so I could have a good illustration to begin this new series in 1 Timothy. But truth be told, I could not think of a better analogy. Because here's the thing, the church, or perhaps more accurately, a group within this body of believers, have also developed an irregular heartbeat. And if left unchecked, and uncorrected, the prognosis is pretty much the same, terminal. So what's caused this irregularity? And as we're talking the spiritual heart and not a physical muscle, what are the paddles that Paul is going to apply to get them back to a right beat? Well, friends, these are the questions before us as we come to this fascinating heart-correcting letter. And as we go through it, here's the big question for us. What does the script for that ancient church reveal about the spiritual health of our church? And where things are possibly out of whack, are we willing to hear and apply the fix? Well, there's only one way to find out, isn't there? So if you haven't already, open your Bibles to the start of 1 Timothy and let's begin. First one, have another look at it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Saviour and of Christ Jesus our hope. Now friends, as we take that opening line in, if you've ever sought to have a full heart checkup yourself, then you know that your GP must first refer you to a specialist. And as you enter their office, you're looking for that plaque on the wall, aren't you? The one with lots and lots of letters after their name. All to give you confidence that you're in good hands. And that's exactly what this person who is writing this letter is doing for us right here. Whose office have we entered? Well, that would be Paul's. Okay, great. Nice name. But why should I trust him with my heart? What big words come after his name that qualifies this Paul as a doctor of souls? Well, he now lays it out, doesn't he, that we might know. Have another look. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Saviour. Now, friends, in terms of credentials, this right here is... Well, how do I put it? The the triple gold standard. There is simply no higher qualification than this. For the Paul who is penning this script for this church is none other than the Apostle Paul, i.e. the one God literally knocked off his horse as he travelled to Damascus to persecute Christians. The one God personally and powerfully saved and then commanded to bring this same good news to the Roman world. What was this good news message? Well, Paul's going to go into more detail throughout this letter. But here in this opening, he gives it to us in a nutshell. Final four words of his opening sentence. Have a look at it. Paul writes, Christ Jesus, our hope. Now, friends, at the risk of going all original languages on you, the Greek word here for hope 
is Elpis. Why is that important? Well, if you look Elpis up in a concordance, which I did during the week, you'll see its meaning is a little bit less wishy-washy than H-O-P-E. Because you see, Elpis is used when one wants to imbibe certainty and confidence and rock-solid assurance. And knowing this, when you attach Elpis to Christ Jesus, as Paul does right here, the message is clear. He is the one who provides what your heart craves but seems beyond reach. An unbreakable certainty that God is your saviour and not your condemner. Thanks to Christ Jesus, you have gone from a hopeless position before your maker to the exact opposite. Nothing can now separate you from God's love thanks to Christ Jesus. And friends, Paul himself is exhibit A of this reality. Here is a trustworthy saying, he says in verse 15, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world. Why? To save sinners of whom I am the worst. If a proud, hard-hearted Pharisee who went about murdering Christians can go from condemned to saved, then no one is beyond reach. No one. And that's what qualifies me to speak to you. God himself tasked me with sharing to the world that Christ Jesus brings Elpis, brings hope. And so Paul lays out his credentials as he begins. As an apostle, he is fully qualified to bring the cure to sick, sinful, lost hearts. But as we now see, this qualified soul doctor has an intern, doesn't he? Verse 2, have a look. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now friends, before we continue, who exactly is this Timothy bloke who suddenly pops up in the letter? And more importantly, why is this letter addressed to him and not straight to this church like normal well real quick rundown to bring us up to speed timothy was most likely converted during paul's first missionary journey converted not just to christ but also to helping paul in his church planting missionary work and so he accompanies him to learn the ropes And so, long story short, this young man basically becomes Paul's first minister in training. How long Timothy's training went for is anyone's guess. But if you flick over in your Bibles to chapter 3, verse 14, we see he is now ready to take the training wheels off. Paul writes, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. In other words, the time has come for you to step out 
and step in, young man. And as you do, here's all the key, here's all the core things I've taught you over the years. The practices that constitute a healthy, correctly functioning body of believers. This is the script on how people conduct themselves in God's household. And friends, Timothy is to follow this letter to the T. Because look again at what Paul says at the end of verse 15 of chapter 3. The church of the living God is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And so he puts pen to paper to guide and equip Timothy. Because this church's foundations are cracking and their pillar is wobbling. The seriousness of their condition laid out for Timothy in verse 3. Have a look. Paul says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Now, friends, talk about going straight to the heart of this church's irregular beat. Here's the readout, Timothy, in summary. False doctrines are flowing through this church's veins, leading to a misplaced devotion in myths and endless genealogies. The upshot of all this, end of verse 4, they are promoting not the gospel out to the world, but controversies. So there it is in a nutshell. And friends, although it's rare to find a mainstream church with the exact same diagnosis as as this one, I mean, who are you going to find who's really all that interested in genealogies except for us when we looked at it in chapter 10 of Genesis? But apart from that, it's rare. But sadly, it's not rare to find churches in the exact same position as this one here, this ancient church. That is promoting controversies. Now, a classic example of this today would be focusing on end times. Are you A-mill, are you post-mill, or are you pre-mill? Oh, well, I think I'm, I'm A-mill. Oh, right, are you positive, a positive A-miller, or are you a negative A-miller? Uh, actually, on second thoughts, I think I'm pre-mill. Oh, really? Is that historic pre-mill, or are you pre-trib disp- dispensational? And on. And on it goes, and the promotion of the gospel gets lost. What makes a church become overly obsessed and focused on this sort of thing that at the end of the day only produces controversy? Well, as one of my lecturers at college used to say, that always happens when the main thing stops being the main thing. And that's precisely Paul's point to Timothy right here. People are promoting controversy because they have forgotten what God is promoting. His work, verse 4, in which salvation comes for sinners through his son. A salvation that is received not by your bloodline or special knowledge or personal effort, but faith. Simple faith. Take your eyes off Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, and someone or something else will become the focus. 
And that's exactly what's going on right here. These false teachers are saying, fix your eyes on us, church, for what we teach is the true way to God. And so Paul, in just a few sentences, gets to the heart of the heart of the problem affecting this this church and the cure Timothy is to apply. And as this young man steadies himself to bring what he knows will be a bitter pill for some of them in that church to swallow, Paul encourages him with this. Have a look in verse 5. He writes, The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, friends, what a beautiful clarifying line that is the goal of what Paul has just said and all of what which you'll actually say in this letter comes from where exactly ego pride a need to micromanage everything and be controlling over others no says Paul His call for Timothy to apply the paddles to the chest of this church and give it a jolt is motivated by love. Love for God and for this church to know and express God's love rather than that old failed love that kicked off way back in a garden called Eden. Now friends, it's important to remember as we go through this letter and taking the things that Paul says throughout, every single instruction given is motivated by God's love working through Paul. And for the church to respond in kind, demonstrating and expressing their love for God as a body of believers. Having made that clear, Paul dives into the controversy once more. Verse 6, have a look at what he writes. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Now, friends, from this we see clearly the core issue causing ill health in this body is a wrong application of God's law. Look as Paul expands on this in verse 8. He says, We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers. And for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Now, friends, there's a whole sermon in just those verses. In fact, potentially an entire sermon series. But that's not us. So let's get straight to the core of the issue here, to the heart of what is causing their irregular beat. The teachers at this church in Ephesus are teaching law. Not the law of the land, of course, but God's Old Testament law. And notice, friends, in those verses, 
There is nothing at all in Paul's words here to suggest that they are distorting it in any way. Now, in fact, they are doing a great job at going through all of God's decrees and stipulations and commands. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is when all you teach is God's law, all you're ever hearing is the problem between you and God. And that's precisely its job, Paul says in these these verses. It's made for the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, to help them to see that's what they are before God. The law pinpoints the problem. As Paul tells the church in Rome, I would not have known what coveting was, wouldn't have had a clue wouldn't have known it was an issue if the Lord didn't say, do not covet. And the same goes for stealing and lying and all the rest. The law shines a light on the problem, a problem every single person has in one form or another before a perfect, righteous and holy God. But that's as far as the Lord takes you. All problems. No solution. But a solution has come, says Paul to Timothy. The glorious gospel, verse 11, of the blessed God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. To put that verse another way, the law of God highlights our terminal disease, while the gospel of God brings the cure. But this church is being withheld from the cure. Your job, Timothy, remedy that as a matter of urgency. Now, friends, look at how Paul expresses his experience of this beautiful remedy when God applied it to his heart. Reading on. Even though I was once a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and a violent man. I was shown judgment, no. I was shown mercy, because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Friends, there, right there, is a testimony that only comes from a heart set free. Full release from condemnation and death that the Lord demonstrates we all deserve. If we only know the problem with God and not the cure from God, if all we hear is our hearts are out of step with Him and nothing about how it's put right, 
If the condemnation of your law-breaking ways, all the ways you've fallen short, is weighing heavy on your heart this morning, then friend, let me apply the paddles of the gospel to your heart with these words. Words Paul writes to another intern of his called Titus. At one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Does your heart know this hope, have this hope, or is it still suffering under the terminal prognosis of the law let's pray our heavenly father what a wonder and what a miracle it is to be saved by your mercy and your grace completely and fully through christ jesus who is our elpis our hope Our Heavenly Father, we know how much we need that salvation. For your your law clearly demonstrates just how far we fall short of your perfection. And yet, rather than condemnation and death and judgment, you send your Son to die as our substitute to take all of our law-breaking ways upon himself, that we might have his righteousness, that we might be fully forgiven, receive your mercy and grace. Lord, we know that no human being would ever think up such a wonder, such a love. And Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who does not know that love, that only knows your law, that only knows your condemnation. Father God, may you shine into their heart this morning the wonder of your grace and mercy found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Father, help us to keep him central and and our eyes focused on him as Paul continues to speak and correct this wayward church. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.